talk about revolution That's going a little bit too far So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal Hello, and welcome once again to More Like the Worst Wing, the podcast where we take a look at Aaron Sorkin's seminal TV show, The West Wing, from a 2018 leftist, I guess it's 2019 leftist perspective. Mm -hmm. I'm Stu. And I'm Dave. Welcome to the new year. And happy new year. Um, And I actually watched this episode three whole weeks ago, basically on New Year's Eve, (laughs) before the festivities of me sitting around with my wife kicked off and I nearly fell asleep. Yeah. Uh, it's boring. It's no, it's, <laughs> it's not a, it's not a great one. Although the good bits in it are nice little character moments that we get. And again, this is always the strength of the show that we'll go back to is, you know, it's good at writing nice little character moments when you don't have to dig into the politics of, of what's going on. And this is one of them because you yeah. start out, I mean, the, the whole thing starts out with, Bartlett giving a speech quite smugly um, following up on his more milquetoast promises from the last episode of letting him be Bartlett. Right. Correct. Wherein (laughs) shocker, like the, the choice of him being Bartlett is he's, Oh my God, he's nominating two progressives to the FEC. Right. Who are fans of campaign finance reform such a like just right that that fierce agency the fec that is known for being uh full of teeth and uh (laughs) and constantly making elections fight fight fair yep definitely a a toothful organization that's the fec i know of (laughs) i don't know about what america you're living in well and so when we get this like this intro scene where Josh tells some regressive senator to blow his legislative a- agenda, which, to be fair, is a nice serialization from last time around. Sure, because he did to, threaten that he was going to just, you know, bring all this shit across the Congress. Yeah, your yeah. conservative coalition right, shit you know, to bear the, if they wish fuck list. stuff up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we get the get the kind of the Hollywood like kazing right into the credit sequence thing where Josh tells a senator to blow his agenda out his ass, right. which is like, oh my god, a swear word on the TV, right? And it was you know, oh, be careful, Josh, the big call's coming in, and are you going to be okay? And he's like, turns out I was okay. It's, it's literally it's like a shades moment, like puts yeah! the shades down. Oh, I love CSI Miami forever for giving us that intro meme. Uh, um, so yeah, that's our that's our cold open, and so it's like, oh fuck the Republicans, and this this is what cr- makes West Wing the the go to liberal fantasy is moments like these over and over where it's like, haha, we sure did own those Republicans. Well, and so. Yet somehow, when we get into the details at this press conference, it turns CJ out is, turns out she's nominating a Republican and a Democrat. Right, but the Republican is progressive on campaign finance reform, I guess. I thought I, the whole thing was that we were going to nominate two Democrats, and that was what was letting <laughs> Bartlett be Bartlett. I had to, I got, that was God the impression Christ. I certainly got. Yeah, and so it's almost weird because she like she makes this point about. There's no mandate that it is right. A it, is, it is by tradition that it has become this bipartisan committee. It's not a legal requirement. And yet, almost immediately, 
she's proven wrong. Right. And, like, concedes that the FEC is toothless and that the move is symbolic. So it's, right. like, just really ramming it home here how fucking dumb all this stuff. Like, it is, they write it out in the script that it's like, oh, well, we made this big old move and it, it really didn't do shit at all. Mm-hmm. I just, and... And it's it's weird because, again... Uh, the the whole point of the let Bartlett be Bartlett storyline moment is that like okay if you're addressing the fact that your your sh- you know characters haven't done shit before this and this is your like okay we need to get together and like get our shit together and do some shit because we ha- it turns out we haven't done anything we've been very ineffective and this is our like come to Jesus big battle cry moment of like okay from now on we're gonna fucking hit the ground running and we're gonna do shit. And we're gonna shake shit yeah, up around I'm, here, I'm and we're gonna, leash. yeah, like let Bartlett be Bartlett, and and our first big thing is this symbolic toothless FEC worthless reform, like great, and and we're already getting caught up in the weeds about technicalities about it as well. Yeah, and so I mean, it they immediately immediately get caught in the weeds because they start to they decide to like bring in pollsters, uh, stuff because Al Kiefer. Mm-hmm. A.K.A. Q. John Delancey, A.K.A. Q, is back. Hey. <laughs> and, Always delightful. <laughs> and he's... I don't even both, care what he's talking about. And I feel like almost the whole issue of both the um, kind of the, the press conference and CJ's spat with Danny that is sort of like the dramatic tension there, mm-hmm. and Q bringing Joey Lucas back from the West Coast. So it feels like the whole FEC appointment thing is 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 a tool to mm-hmm. keep these interpersonal character drama storylines fresh in our brain. So it's just I, like I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, we focus on this as a oh, it's going to be a political fight and a political story and maybe maybe we'll get it like in on some real like philosophy stuff and define mm-hmm. the admin's direction, but instead it's it's just sort of it's an entree into Oh, remember that cute girl from the West Coast that Josh right. likes? Right. <laughs> yeah, and there's a there's a lot of that this episode. Like a uh, good chunk of the subplot is devoted to the the romance, the the will they or won't they of, <laughs> of Josh Lyman and Joey Lucas, uh, as he very awkwardly attempts to uh, hit on her uh, when she she takes an office in the White House to do polling, I assume. I, I uh, guess because like, at this point she is now officially a pollster. Uh, she yes. has changed from being like a campaign manager or whatever she was when she first showed up, and she <laughs> she is now officially like pollster Joey Lucas. So I guess she's convenient. just yeah, and she's taking an office there to do some polls or something, and this gives Josh an opportunity to go over and awkwardly try to hit on her in in <laughs> well, the most goony fashion. And and when the the writers spend a lot of time. Um, clubbing us over the head with how awkward Josh is slash should be. Right, about... by having other characters chime yeah. in with, Constantly. oh, wow, Josh is all nervous. Oh, Josh is wearing his special suit. Didn't you notice? Hey, Josh, I noticed <sighs> that Joey's a fine-looking woman. <laughs> I mean, it was it was like some fucking Twilight Zone shit where, okay, so, and and honestly, this this is why I wrote down that it, was, it, was, it seems slightly exploitative because there's a scene where, Charlie emerges with Josh, leaves the Oval Office, and starts walking back to Josh's office and just pesters him about how Joey is a... And here's the clip. Lucas is here. She's waiting in your office. Okay. Okay. 
What are you smiling at? Fine looking woman, Josh. Yes. I can help you out. Help me out with what? She's a fine looking woman. Stop saying that. Oh, you a lie, Josh. You got me this job. I'd like to pay you back. By helping me out? By helping you out. Don't you think I need any help? She's a fine looking woman, Josh. Get away from me. And it's just all right, so <laughs> we, we've, we've got this weird, awkward, goony tension between Josh and Joey. We're familiar with it. It's been, yes. you know, elaborated it's, on in it's Sorkin's done episodes. this before, this dynamic before with Jeremy and What's-Her-Face and Sports Night as well. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, you and, know, the two nerdy-ish characters who are going to, like, nerd meet cute. Yes, the, the nerd meet cute. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it's established and stuff. So why are we... Why are we using what I'm assuming is the sort of the the character trait of Charlie that is it's inherent that he's like he's hip and and because <laughs> he's the young I'm sure the like young, he's cool the young black man and yeah. like and it's and it's because it's weird it's just he and I I, I honestly like I, I assume the worst in this in <laughs> these cases because it usually is the worst it's just like it's fair oh, all right we're we're gonna have him like kind of talk in an accent, like go after the, the simple things like social interactions and talking about women. And it just seems really, they're, they're all supposed to be just grown ass professionals and intelligent around each other. Yeah. You know, it's the, the show wants it to be a workplace sitcom and have like the dating tension of like the office or whatever, but it's the white house and like, (laughs) you know, maybe like casual sexual harassment shouldn't be treated as like, uh, LOL, isn't it fun, locker room, boys talk? <laughs> yeah, when you, you said something earlier, it's like, hey, it's the 90s, we were cool and loose about this shit. R- right, like, oh, because it not. hadn't been codified yet, yeah. <laughs> Effect- effectively. Yeah, it, was, I, it was starting to get codified, and there was a backlash against it. And, uh, yeah, and it's just, it's, like, I, I don't know, it, it just This seems, is something again. Sorkin will have, kind of, sort of has a continual issue with, you know, he just has an older man's mentality of of this kind of thing yeah and so we get a little bit of back and forth on that and then we start we fire up the so we'll take a brief break here before we oh, yeah. fire Let's... up the inexplicable inexplicable Inex- series of inexplicable off-site, off-site meetings, meetings. <laughs> <laughs> All right. somewhere in the middle of the episode we embark on this as we said series of off-site meetings for no reason whatsoever we just <laughs> bail out of the white house because leo wants to convene the team about not making any mistakes because right. of their approval rating well i'll give you my theory on on why we have the inexplicable offsite meetings Please uh, do. And, and that's just that the weather was real nice and the crew felt like shooting outside <laughs> <laughs> on on this particular episode because yeah. honestly that's what it feels like to me like uh, and even Josh calls out, like, when they're in the uh, outdoor restaurant, like, why we go here? Why didn't we just stay in the White House and order food? <laughs> it's yeah. just, like, it's very funny. And, and it's completely unnecessary. Like, they, they, don't, they don't leave for a reason. It's just, okay, now we're going to talk about this at a restaurant. Instead, I guess which they is... just literally wanted to change the scenery. Yeah, you know? and that's fine. Like, I mean, is... I, I guess I get that in a working context. Sure. But like, it's weird because it's fun. not like we ever go back to this restaurant or like outdoor. Re- like, we'll see them go to plenty of restaurants from now on, but o- almost never are they outdoor. Yeah, you know, and they're not, they're not, um, they're not in transition to somewhere. They're not doing like a prep 
right thing or something it's just yeah, it's almost it's just, just smash cut to restaurant just we decided to have our meeting at the outdoor restaurant this time yeah absolutely yeah um yeah and sam's very weird uh <laughs> Um, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Let me get into this a bit. Okay. So, yeah. So Sam misses the restaurant because he gets caught up talking with Toby. Now, to be fair, I've done similar things myself, uh, or even in the car where I get caught up talking with someone and miss an exit or something like that. So I'll give him credit where credit's due. That's a normal whatever. That's fine. You get caught up in the moment. Uh, but then <laughs> later he tries to say, "Huleya, Huley." <laughs> Dude, he has this weird made-up word that is like my his, this might have just been a made-up word my mother used to say yeah um yeah and, and just later on in the episode he goes a nice piece of fish never hurt anyone kathy and so, when discussing his lunch options i'm just like yeah sam is really weird and i'm kind of glad <laughs> mallory never actually like dated him it's good, sam, good sam call, should Mal. not be sam should not be encouraged yeah <laughs> Sam, Sam, Sam probably shouldn't procreate. Him. Like, that's probably <laughs> yeah. just for the best if we don't have a little <laughs> Sam Jr. running around. <laughs> so then, like, in between these offsite stuff, there's Al Kiefer shows up. Like, he, he <laughs> drops into the Oval Office and has some, like, statistical chats. Like, I'm just giggling sh- at your notes here. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he barkles and snorkels. Yeah, he's barking and snorkeling some <laughs> Garbo disapproval statistics. And at the I, time, I, I just picture he snaps away like Q when he wants to leave the scene. <laughs> no, he, he comes in like a little plane, like snorks. <laughs> so, like, at the time, it's... So they're, they're talking about the, the, the core issue in the title of the episode is about um, mandatory minimums right. on so here, drug well, sentencing. Here's the actual issue that this episode decides to dig yes. into at all, because it doesn't really talk about the FEC, FEC in any political sense. No, and I the, mean, This is the only political issue that is actually discussed, uh, yeah, is and the concept of mandatory minimums for drug sentencing. What's strange is that at the time... It was a relatively modern introduction into the political lexicon, you know, because mm-hmm. even so if this was filmed in, let's say, like the very tail end of 1999, you know, the crack cocaine right. hadn't been around for much longer than uh, like what, at that point, 15 years. Something like that. Yeah. So, 80s. yeah. So like this was a very it's strange that this was the issue that they chose to bring up, because although at the time, like this, I mean, it was always a racist policy, but it's super interesting that they decided to make this the thing that this that they would base this progressive push on. Because honestly, at that time, it was still very much in vogue to right. um, to be tough on crime. Yeah, to be tough on crime and coming out it of like still the super is, predators era. You know, arguably, yeah. <laughs> agreed. You know, it's still, it's still, you know. I, I feel like we don't get soft on crime ads as much anymore, but I think the legacy of being tough on crime has stayed, sadly. Yeah, and I think it is also, uh, it's almost directly related to the kind of the interplay of the like the Clinton administration with this stuff, where it allows for a space in which conservatives can both attack people for being soft on crime, but also kind of point to them as being the OG bad guys. Right. Where it's like, well, you know, in 1994 or whenever it was, 
that this first kind of this sentencing discrepancy really started to take place, it was a it was a full ass Democratic push to sort of, I guess, triangulate with tough on crime types. And so right. in, in the worst way possible, I th- I the think they right were wing is right. S- I think they were sick of getting nailed for being soft on crime. And so they just decided to embrace like, okay, well, let's get hard on crime and we'll just take that 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 attack away. Uh, and so then the attacks just shifted. They don't stop. Yeah. They just shift. You yeah. know, they'll never stop. If, if you're playing on, if your strategy relies on the other side not attacking you, it is a bad strategy. Um, yeah. And so in this case, you know, Al is, Al Kiefer is sort of playing like the devil's advocate right. about how <clears throat> diverting funds makes from drug point. enforcement yeah. Yeah, to treatment is going to be messaged against, which I think is very accurate. But everyone in the meeting is like, oh, well, you know. Clearly, these people will see the light of, of reason when we explain to them. <laughs> right. So, well, I think I think their point is trying to say good outcomes will prove that we're right, but you need to actually get the good outcomes oh, to, yeah, for mean, that to happen. That that or you can I mean you can maunder on forever like technocratic studies and citing research mm-hmm. and shit. But in this scene, Al also does a really good job of. What I wrote up here is like it's a proto Chud frame of mind wherein people are to create their own reality. Like he right. says, science is science, right. or whoever's fighting with him says, right. science is science. Al is just like, well, um, people, people don't work that way. Is, yeah. is his message? Yeah, yeah. Basically, you know, people dig in, they get stupid, and you can't reason them out of a position they didn't reason themselves into to begin with. And Exactly. Yeah, he's just trying to explain the, you know, look, you can get out there, and you can be the best communicator, most logical, charismatic, whatever, and you're still just going to have X percent of the population that's going to be like, nope, I like my own dumb way of thinking, thank you. Well, yeah, and <clears throat> this was, you know, now <laughs> I, I think this is very much understood because... Right mainly because this sort of the the results of this sort of meeting have failed for right. 20 years right so speaking speak of meeting you <laughs> mandy gets kicked out of the meeting she's a fine looking one stop saying that because <laughs> <laughs> she was doing her job good job all the cast is here and also mandy <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so she's still on thin ice because of the thing from last week, right? That's why. Yeah, um, yeah, because she wrote that memo. The strategy. So that's memo. why. That's why she gets kicked out, and that's the end of Mandy <laughs> for this week, and yep. and soon the whole Mandy. season. So enjoy your last moments of Mandy, everyone. <laughs> they, yeah, thank they're God. fading quickly. <laughs> yeah. All right, and then so like, then we we go back and dig in some more on the Joey and Josh thing yeah i mean (laughs) i think we we, we've spoken enough about that let me let me pivot to the the other romantic subplot we get which is toby uh and his uh congresswoman ex-wife uh andy who Who i believe (laughs) is our first this is the first time we get to see her Yes, it is. Uh, so, and and also, this is the first time we learned that. To- I think we knew Toby was married, right? Uh, yes, they, uh, they had do- referenced an ex-wife at some point, but this is the first time we actually like learn like who she is, why they, you know, kind of what 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 they're. We learn more about them, not everything, but more. 
Um, yeah, and it, it frames up their relationship pretty well in that they are still very, I mean, they're they're professionally cordial. And, right. Like, and definitely, there's there's definitely something going on there, uh, at least from her end. She's, she's trying to be, at least to me, it seems like she's trying to be, I'll rekindle a little bit of the romantic, you know, she invites him to have a nice little picnic. Yeah, <laughs> you know, she's got, you know, she has pie. It's like, it seems like she's trying to make a cute little lunch date out of their, yeah, out of a, their work a, meeting. She's making overtures to Right, him. exactly. And meanwhile, Toby is just like the grumpiest Eeyore Gus motherfucker about the whole thing of like, <laughs> I don't want to sit on the blanket and eat pie. Uh, we're adults. Uh, what are you doing? <laughs> and it's just like, dude. She's a fine-looking woman. Like, later on, you're gonna try to win her back by buying her a house, and she's gonna explain that, like, you're just this sad, gloomy motherfucker, and you're gonna be like, I'm not sad, and, like, I want you to think back to this moment, Toby, when you didn't want to have the cute picnic with you, with your wife. Yes, ex- exactly. Um, so, and so it, it's sort of coincidental because she's working on the uh, mandatory minimums, legislation yeah. that is that is being pushed and then there's she's one of the co-sponsors or something and and i do they i i can't i honestly can't remember do they even get anything accomplished in their no. picnic meeting no <laughs> zero Ugh. does anyone Ugh. get anything accomplished this whole episode is the better question and the answer is no that's why well, it's so boring and kind of all <laughs> over the place like no bill gets passed no amendment gets made like nothing no vote gets like you know we don't find out that oh we got the votes in like nothing happens yeah well and i would argue that something does happen which gives us a nice natural segue here to oh. um take a brief break and then we can talk about leo's power trip in, oh right in this episode so the only actual, I would argue that the only actual exercise of political power that occurs in this kind of morass of an episode is that Leo eventually ends up getting on CJ's, CJ's nuts about the quote-unquote like amateur mistakes about the FEC appointment garbage, but it's facilitated by Danny calling her out in public and they get in a big old fight. Mm-hmm. You know, Danny's, <laughs> Danny's helping her do her job but there's probably a way better way to do that she's a fine looking woman well it's she, she i mean she says it best herself where leo calls her amateur for the mistake she made about about the fec council thing right that's yes yes yeah and uh he calls her amateur for that and she's like she you know she takes it okay and then is like and then Danny steps in like two seconds after Leo's done yelling at her to also tag team in like from the ropes, like boom, tag team in right off Leo and also call her like a rank amateur. And like, Uh, and like, it's just like, and like in front of everyone. And like, that is way over the line. And so she has to like haul him into the office and like yell in his face and like fair on her. Like, yeah, Yeah, that's, that's like, it's one thing for Leo to do it in front of people. He's the chief of staff. He's allowed to. It's not, you know, you're a reporter. You're you are technically under me in the power hierarchy here. Yeah, fucking absolutely. I can and I can wreck your world. So fucking <laughs> lay off. <laughs> well, and so this it sort of like this eventually pivots into I, I was just say like Leo actually exercising the power of his office at this point because mm-hmm. there's a very there's a conveniently timed phone call that occurs back in the offsite lunch meeting. <laughs> right. <laughs> where Leo asks his assistant Margaret to write down a list of names. 
Right. And we have no context for them, but you can Correct. recognize some of them from previous episodes that they are names of like political operators. Congress critters. Yeah, like Congress critters. So Congress critters. Um, what Leo ends up doing in this episode, which I think is actually <clears throat> kind of a quite quite good and a, a an example of the show finally writing something that would be an appropriate um, wielding of your political influence is that he convenes a group of basically blackmailable people correct to threaten their bosses extortable in in case anyone gets the wrong idea yes (laughs) yes to threaten their bosses um into voting for the like the bill that will ease up on mandatory minimums and and that'll eliminate that'll do make it better right yes that will eliminate the sentencing discrepancies between and this is really the problem with west wing is like we don't really dig into any actual issues they don't explain exactly how it's going to make it better it's just like it'll make it better like, yeah. And so the other thing is that I, I was on the cusp of like, you know, flat out acknowledging that this was a great piece of political like this is this is a progressive tactic. politics yeah. tactic that is yeah. good. But the whole scene of it really it, it works to sort of drive home the shit is racist as hell. Right part of the argument because right. all of these people are white people yeah and also and privileged as hell too in that yes. they're all rich as well yes but we we're only we end up only sort of telling half the story because in using right. it as something that you hold over their heads it's not really digging in on the like and we're going to come after your ass too right well i think one one thing that hurts the scene is that it's not in public in any way that it's a private scene behind closed doors and that if leo was doing this with press there it would be an extremely effective thing that i would have zero problems with like i think that should be you know or they should i guess the threat is we'll go to the press with all of this if you don't vote this way but like Really, it should be both. It should be vote this way, and we're going to the press. <laughs> yeah, and <clears throat> again, it's the 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 discussion is set up from a perception of racism, which in this shows you fine. Like that's great. I'll, I'll deal with it, and I, that that's good. I, it's good in my book. The uh-huh. step further is to set it up from a perception of classism, where sure. it is it's implicit. In the mandatory minimums, that it is not only a a white versus black thing, but it is very right. much a implicitly rich versus poor. Right. Yeah, because crack, you know, the crack being the cheap, the the drug yeah. of the poor versus and, cocaine. And it is, you know, the the every literally every image that the word crack, the words crack cocaine evokes right. in the public consciousness reflect crack on house. both of those issues. Right. Yeah. yeah. So. Eventually, you know, you don't hear of a cocaine house. Yes, (laughs) you hear of a cocaine mansion, like in Scarface. (laughs) You hear of an opium den and a crack house, but it would be a cocaine mansion. (laughs) Um, So, cocaine mansions and chavion and caviar dreams. (laughs) So, like it. Eventually, it, it it Leo's point and the point of the bill gets slammed home like in the final scene where the president's laying there in, in bed and says right actually like leo here so clearly he has a vested personal interest 
in this issue because he's a perfect example of treatment for drug abuse being better than prison. Yeah, like, look, uh, it's much better that Leo is around to be chief of staff than being locked up for something stupid like drug addiction where he wasn't harming anyone. You know, that's 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 the lesson writ large is like maybe we should lock people up for drug addiction when they're not hurting anyone. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's such a slam dunk in that regard. Yeah, that it's just uh, like, like we... I get it. Like I get it. It's one thing if a meth head stabs a guy. OK, fine. But like, you know, just for doing the meth, like, well, where's where's the crime? Yeah. And I mean, you know, obviously, again, the the code words of drug abuse and addiction are so deeply right. Im- embedded in the public consciousness yeah. that it's we, almost yeah. impossible to we could dig into treatment and all that but the, the episode doesn't really give it any detail so neither should we yeah well and it's impossible to kind of um extract and deal with one issue without dealing with the other right but so we you know we, we wrap it up and i i thought it was you know it's okay like it's cool eh. that we can point at leo and say Oh, this particular Here's, issue. I think yeah, yeah, yeah. the episode is on. Oh, no, no, yes. no, no, no. Yeah, go ahead. Then <laughs> no, I agree. It's, it's cool that we can say, hey, um, this was something that was established early that we, th- or perhaps the viewer was led to believe that it would be a, um, like a dramatic device impacting Leo's career and the ability right. of the White House to function with him. But it's actually brought around quite nicely here in a positive right. uh, regard where it's almost like it's convenient to this right. particular political issue to have an, an avatar of what happens when you yeah. follow our policies. Yeah, and that's actually, like, good and subtle and well-done character writing as opposed to, like, later on when they will use this issue in, like, the dramatic, cliche, overly done way where they have him relapse and, and have a bunch of drinks in the later non-Sorkin seasons or whatever. Yeah, and... And, like, that's the easy, cheap, dramatic way to use this kind of character... Uh, tidbit whereas this is a more subtle cool like clever way of doing that well absolutely of, of and bringing in, it in uh bringing in his character's backstory in a way that ties into the theme of the episode and works as an example as well and it's it's less it again i keep going i keep returning to this it's less exploitative of a fundamental character right. trait it is not Charlie going to bat for <laughs> black people's access to charter schools. Yeah. Because because nudge wink, nudge wink, you see, yeah. he's a black man. Right. Like, it yeah. is much more it's much more subtle in a way to engage with the issue from a primarily rich white dude perspective, which right. you know what? Fine. Great. Uh, but have but, you worked you out? Know, yeah, essentially the argument here is that like, hey, you know the privileged kids end up with a slap on their wrist the non the non-privileged kids get thrown into the system hardcore wouldn't it be better for everyone if everyone just got the slap on the wrist you know like that's you know that's that's the argument and that's where where leo is like a walking shining example of that of yes it would be i don't know like um some staffer knows about sam and Lori. I, I didn't even catch that, uh, um, honestly. Well, and so my, my note here says, I don't get the transaction here or why Toby and Josh are so amused about this guy occupying Sam's time. Okay. Um, <laughs> obviously, Josh is still awkward and terrible about Joey Lucas. We talked about that. And then the, the episode wraps 
with the president being in bed and clowning on his staffers. Yeah, there's a little funny bit here where uh, where everyone tries to come in as he's like trying to get to sleep ostensibly, but is talking with Leo the whole time. To be fair, so he's not really trying to get to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then he he just kind of rags on each of them in turn of like, oh boy, I was trying to get to sleep, and here comes Josh, and blah blah blah. <laughs> it's, it's you know Martin Sheen plays it up very well, and it's cute and charming and all that good jazz. Yeah, and he, I mean, he explicitly says, like, it's time to let Mandy and Danny out of the doghouse. You know, they're just <laughs> doing, he, I think he literally says just, he, they're just doing their jobs, you guys. Yep, yep. which is great. And so uh, I like how if you're writing an episode of The West Wing, you can just end it with the president wrapping up plot lines for you. Yes. Just by saying, like, okay, and this will happen, and this will happen, and I'm the president, so make it so. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's literally like, he says this thing and then we fade out and it's the right. right. And and it's just assumed that like, oh, okay, well, those things that the president said should happen will probably happen. Yes. And okay, because Mandy's gonna be gone in two episodes. Spoiler alert. <laughs> and not because she gets shot by the gunman. Also spoiler <laughs> also alert. Spoiler alert. I think we've been building up to this. God, that would have been a so much more dramatic and cool way to get Mandy off the show. Why <laughs> like you're gonna have an attack anyway. Why not kill her off then? Like, that's so much more dramatic. And then we can have, like, oh, fucking R.I.P. Mandy instead of, like, this joke about her on the bus to Mandyville. Uh. Like, oh, why didn't you have the balls to kill Mandy, Sorkin? <laughs> Whedon would have done it. Whedon killed Buffy's mom, for fuck's that, sake. Right. Spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler, spoiler. We're just spoiling everything now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was, this was fun. Uh, this particular episode, not that great. Kind of all over the place. Barely touches on any politics that are interesting. Uh, I give it a solid 3 out of 10. If you're here and you haven't already watched it, good for you. I'd suggest you don't. Keep it that way. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't really uh, inform anything about the future course of the show either. So, neat. Yeah. So, I think that mostly wraps up this episode. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're down to the wire here. We only have two episodes left. Uh, our next one is going to be called Lies, Damn Lies, and Statistics, uh, which references a terrific quote basically saying that there are three types of lies, yep. those being the three eponymous lies. Yep. Uh, and uh, this one is also deals with the FEC um, shenanigans, uh, also deals with the, the ambassador to Bulgaria. She's a fine-looking woman. Uh, and, uh, this is where Sam gets photographed by a paparazzo, uh, yes. uh, when meeting with Lori, uh, to give her the traditional law school graduation gift of a briefcase. Briefcase, yes. I do remember the briefcase episode. Yes. Uh, I recall this bit as well. Uh, as well as may astute listeners. Uh, but thank you for listening. Uh, we welcome any comments, feedback, questions, suggestions, uh, memes, whatever, <laughs> in the thread. Yeah. Uh, or you can email the show at theworstwing69 at gmail.com. Which is nice. Which is nice and puerile. <laughs> and <laughs> for the next time, we'll make it theworstwing420 at gmail.com. Oh. So thanks for listening. Um, we will catch you guys next time. Bye bye. Bye. But don't ask me to come on.